Okay guys, it's been a very, very long time until I recorded the last podcast episode of the King of Weighted Coaching Cues podcast. Um, we decided to uh, remake the format um, in a more interview-based style, also recording it as a video and doing it together. And also, as you hear in English, so to the German community, uh, I'm sorry, but uh, we got a lot of feedback that also all the international followers want to listen to our words. So, um, yeah, we are sticking to English in this one and we are coming back with a very interesting topic. Um, and on this weekend, there was the final web first world championship in weighted calisthenics here in Berlin. Um, I had the honor to be the moderator of the live stream. Lois was one of the head judges, um, responsible actually for almost the whole second day of uh, judging the competition. And today we want to talk about what the main technical difficulties, technical problems um, in all the lifts of the competition were that we saw and that we want to talk about to help you to um, avoid these mistakes if you also feel like you are uh, one of them. And yeah, let's get it started. Let's start with uh, the first lift, which was um, the muscle up. Yeah, so shall we start with the girls or with the men as we have uh, the ring muscle up for the girls? Mm. Uh, Let's start with, with the bar muscle up. I think the ring muscle up can be a whole extra episode uh, for itself. All right. So we have uh, the classic order of the muscle up followed by the pull up and chin up, followed by the dip and the squat. So the competition order of the lifts. And in the muscle up, uh, one of the main things that we could see um, that has been done incorrectly or not appropriate to competition rules was uh, the knee kick. So this was also judged very strictly and during the competition it was allowed to use some kind of knee kick as long as it does not assist in getting over the bar. So a slight knee bend would have been yeah, valid but too big of a knee kick wouldn't be valid. And this is also one of the main things that we have spotted in the competition. And from your uh, trainer perspective, um, if someone repetitively um, makes this wrong, what would be your advice? What would be your cue? As we, of course, want to, want to help our listeners to avoid this. So how would you teach someone to um, keep the, the legs straight in, in, like despite only getting stronger, of course. <laughs> of course. So we need to take into account that these athletes were lifting with some real heavy weights and they're working very close to their maximum potential. So some deviation in form will be likely. So there is no other way around. And uh, when we're talking about perfect technique, we always need to have some kind of intensity gap. Um, what I mean with this, so you should not work very close to failure because then taking care of your form might be almost impossible. But in general, when you want to improve your body tension in 
the muscle up. It is very useful to practice the muscle up with uh, a lighter intensity. So really trying to implement body weight, muscle ups or muscle ups with slightly reduced load and working on the explosiveness and when you work on the explosiveness, also your pulling height will increase and so you don't need that compensations from the legs anymore and that would be my main yeah, uh, thing that I would recommend to do if, you are having pro if you're having problems with your body tension in the muscle ups. Mm -hmm. The main thing that, that I recognize what a, what a lot of athletes were doing like not wrong, but not optimal, was um, their pulling timing, um, which often also comes together with a bit of knee kick to correct the pulling direction. Now, it's, it gets a bit complicated to explain this, but when we're looking at a muscle up, we're swinging forward, and in the point of return, or shortly after, we want to initiate our pull to really have that upward force with a bit of rotation to get over the bar. What happened to also very, very experienced athletes is that they pulled a bit too early. Mm. That means the athlete swang in, swing, swang, swing, swing in, and shortly before the point of return, they started to pull up. That means the weight was still moving forward and they needed the knee kick to correct the path of the weight. And this happened to actually every uh, second athlete, at least mm. that was really uh, happening a lot. And uh, same as you said, that is something you can really easily practice with uh, a lot of repetition, um, meaning a lot of sets of, of muscle ups with very light intensity, just to really program that, that movement pattern with the uh, correct timing because you need to relearn it on every stage of intensity again, which makes it uh, pretty hard as a muscle up with 10 kg feels different than a muscle up with 15, than a muscle up with 20, versus a bodyweight muscle up as your center of mass is always different. And so the timing feels a bit different, um, meaning it's a, it's a hell of a lot of practice that is needed, but timing was definitely um, the main issue that, that I recognized uh, athletes can easily uh, improve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and on the other hand, we didn't see that many hip kicks, so mm -hmm. I was surprised by that. And yeah, but overall, the technique in the muscle ups was actually pretty good. As yeah, I mean, anyway. we're talking about a world. Yeah, so <laughs> so we're always <laughs> talking about the best of yeah, the best sure. now. So the critic is uh, on a on a very top level. Let's uh, put it like this. Exactly. And yeah, that's the main things that I spotted for myself since most people didn't have any issues uh, with the transition or less with the transition. Yeah, but usually it was just insufficient pulling height. Exactly. And this is already something we talked about. Then let's go over to pull-ups and chin-ups. Like I would say the least technical lift of um, of all four, so probably not too much analysis um, to be done here. Um, first of all, I think the majority of non-French athletes um, did chin-ups as expected, as for most the closing top part is easier. 
Um, most of the French athletes did pull-ups because that's what they are used to and what they um, are doing like for a very long time, so they are stronger in it. Um, did you spot some technical mistakes on either chin-ups or a pull-ups, especially as a judge? as you saw that pretty good from your perspective? So as I was responsible for the closing part, so if the athletes had the chin over the bar or not, it was really hard for me to focus on other things um, during my, during at the time I was judging. So, but in general, what I could see was that many athletes didn't read the rule book properly because there was the rule that when you're starting with a depressed scapula, so in an active hang, you're not allowed to go into a passive hang and then pull, because that is kind of a downward movement. So like using the bounce. Exactly, so yeah. using some kind of momentum. And this is actually like a stretch reflex that you can use to accelerate your lift off in the pull-up, which will also make the closing a tiny bit easier. And this is something that happened actually a couple of times. But yeah, that was one of the things that I spotted. And in general... What would you suggest for uh, training this, like especially in the, in the peaking phase shortly before the competition? So, yeah, you always should practice the competition lifts uh, regarding the competition rules. So you can have one session per week, for example, where you're practicing your regular pull-ups and one session per week where you're going to practice your competition pull-ups and you're going to do them like they should be done in the competition. So you can either start in the passive hang then and then accelerating from there or starting from the depressed hang but when you're starting from the depressed hang you need to stay in this depressed position and you need to try to avoid in getting out of that position mm -hmm. and losing the tension what i think also killed the performance a bit of um, a lot of athletes um, also our athlete haruna was not uh, used to it was the long time like you got a start command um, when you were allowed to pull and until that you needed to hang and sometimes depending on how the weight moved how focused uh, the the command judge was it was up to like three seconds of of a hang that you had which feels like one minute when you are the, the competitive athlete and that really drains you and then lifting off explosive with a max load on the belt that was very hard for uh, most of the athletes. And that is also something what I think um, I uh, took away from the competition with prepping our athletes the next time is um, working with longer hang times in before that submax um, singles that we will have in the weeks before the competition. So also if you are looking forward to compete and if you know that there will be a starting command to pull, you should definitely practice with um, with a longer hang phase in before that will um, get you used to it and not kill your planned weights in the competition because a lot of athletes I think needed to um, decrease their their opener weight a bit to um, yeah be able to pull this weight easily over the bar. Definitely I totally agree with that. Then what else do we saw? Like As I said that the pull-up and the chin-up are not too technically so uh, you cannot do too much wrong. Sometimes we had very, very flared elbows. 
um, which kills the leverage at the top position a bit. So if these athletes would focus a bit more on having elbows in, they might have a stronger um, top position, but close to one rep max or at your one rep max. Um, it's hard to say if it's really, yeah. you know, a, a technical mistake or if it's just not strong enough uh, exactly. on, on that day. But that was something that, um, that I spotted a lot. But other than that, yeah, chin-ups, pull-ups, easy lift. So let's go over to um, probably the, the most technical upper body lift um, or a, at least on one stage with, um, with the muscle up is the dip. And here we could also saw, see any kind of, of, of technical breakdown. Mm -hmm. What was the one, uh, probably already know what you're going to say, what was the number one um, technical mistake um, that, that you spotted? Uh, of course, uh, the depth of the dips. So we had plenty of athletes uh, dipping above 90 degree elbow flexion. And in the competition, it was said that you need to have the posterior delt just below the uh, elbow cap. And some people were dipping really borderline. So just to 90 degrees elbow flexion, which is not enough. So you need to really have the rear delt parallel with the elbow cap and this was definitely the mistake that we have spotted the most so and most of the athletes were not conditioned to the correct depth basically. exactly but this is also due to the different competition rules through all over the world because some federations they only need to go down towards 90 degree elbow flexion but not having the rear delt below the elbow so not everybody was aware of that and yeah so in, that was in the your main... opinion what's the better rule like 90 degree descending upper arm rear delt below elbows what's your favorite if you could choose if I could choose personally, I would say 90 degrees. 90 degrees, and, yeah. and where is the point that you would measure it? So, okay, when, let's say, uh, the medial part of the elbow should be at the shoulder joint, in line mm. with each other. Makes it also hard to see yeah. <laughs> in the end. So, so I, I actually have no opinion on this um, as a good dipper of course a bit higher would be, would be good for me <laughs> of course because the force production will be way higher this way as, uh, as a judge i think is like rare delt below elbow is like something that you can s like it's like a clear point definitely yeah um, so which makes I, it easier to judge i definitely agree with the, those competition rules um as they are and i do like them because it gives a standard to the whole industry and yeah, so also the athletes have to adjust a little bit. So it's like the same with powerlifting. They're also implementing now the elbow rule in the bench press. Yeah. And this is also something that is important for our sport. So we have a standardized rule in the dip. And yeah, so... What totally surprised me it. a bit in the dip was, um, as we had like the, the, the moderation booth was in front of the dip. So I always had a front view on the dip. Lois was standing on the side, so you basically always had the side view is that um, like a good portion of the athletes had a super wide setup. 
Yeah. Like they had a very, and you could choose the, the width of the bars on your own. So you don't need to go for a very wide setup. And all of these, not all of these, but like the, the majority of these um, that shows the very wide setup um, due to the high stability efforts in the depression also sucked in depression. So I was not sure if they were not aware of it, if they are just used to a wide setup because most of the commercial gym setups are pretty wide. But um, if they would have chosen just a more narrow setup, their depression would have been much stronger and, and the whole dip would have been more stable and probably also they could move more weight. So that was something setup wise that, that I think um, a lot of athletes can improve just by dipping on a proper setup. Of course, yeah. it's also what you're used to, what feels comfortable for you, but um, that I was surprised that a lot of athletes chose this white, um, white width because it's obviously not beneficial in, in the most cases. Yeah, but most of these athletes were actually pretty tall and for people with longer arms, this would shorten the range of motion they need to go through. And yeah. that would be at least a bit. A, but you, you could also compensate this by just by rotating the elbows sure. a bit more out. Sure, yeah. that would also work. But having a more chest dominant dip is yeah. the best for calisthenics athletes, as we are more shoulder dominant in our training or most of the time. Oh. Yeah. But that was definitely something I think that a lot of people could improve. Then um, we had for um of course not the strongest dippers but um for like in the in the in the middle field they had um some timing issues um in the negative uh, in the positive part of the dip um with opening chest up too early mm. and there we also saw some no reps so they bounced in and in that bottom position they already retracted shoulders and tried to like get their sternum up again and did that too early before positioning themselves better and they um, almost all of them were not able to to make it up again mm. so keeping chest tight long enough until you're really uh, in a good position to start your positive was also something that um, could have been done better definitely yeah training wise how would you um, tackle this when someone has like um, not of a too stable bottom position so what i generally do is that i program pause dips and surprise <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually quite easy yeah. yeah so you just need to pause in the bottom position and really focusing on keeping maximum protraction and maximum shoulder stability and by trying to open the chest up a little bit later will already help so mm. but you maybe, need to focus maybe should on we you explain need to what closed and open chest in the context <laughs> of a dip because the the yeah, sure. um, the term actually does not explain what actually happens so should i just yeah go ahead so when we're talking about a closed chest we are talking about a position with depressed protracted shoulders where the sternum slightly points down so a position where we are pretty small and it kind of looks like you're closing yourself so you're making yourself small sternum slightly points down or at least not not upright shoulders protracted shoulders depressed and when we're talking about an open chest we're talking about an 
upright sternum and retracted shoulders because now like my whole chest is open and now it's closed. That's where this, these terms are uh, coming from, which might be a bit confusing uh, for someone who's not aware of this kind of internal calisthenics <laughs> term. Exactly. Yeah. So, and then you're basically waiting. Um, when you're in this bottom position, you focus on that max protraction and the shoulder stability and then you are going to push and as soon as your sternum becomes a little bit more vertically to the floor you can start opening your chest up and aligning your hips with the weight path again and this would definitely help most people in getting rid of uh, losing the tension in the bottom position of the dip yeah. and keeping that chest tight until you're a bit more upright is needed because if you look at the side view of a dip and you're open up in that position, so shoulders are moving back, what happens is you're basically coming down. So you're increasing the range of motion of the weight and you're making the difficultest or the most difficult position of the dip even more difficult. Whereas when you are upright again and you open then, you're giving your chest more length and so a bit more power potential to, uh, to press up. But that is highly technical, advanced yeah. dip stuff. Um, why it's also, yeah, it's, that's why it's so technical lift, basically, because yeah. there's a lot of details uh, with which you can really improve your um, technique on it, which also makes the dip, I think, the, um, the most coaching demanding lift. Um, from the upper body at least. Yeah, I totally agree with that. All right, and lastly, we had the squats. Well, basically uh, also maybe a total episode, <laughs> but like, let's, let's uh, stick to it. What um, was the number one mistake you spotted? Um, I was very surprised that I saw, I think, um, at least 10 to 20% of athletes not squatting with full equipment. So there were a lot of athletes squatting without knee sleeves, which like automatically cuts, I think statistically like 5 kg or, or something, depending on the sleeve, maybe even more. And um, even a few squatted without a belt, like which I think is pretty hardcore um, in a one rep max squat as mm -hmm. uh, that like cuts down your, your stability so much and um, is probably not the best idea if you really want to hit um, hit good numbers. So that was uh, something that surprised me and that is of course not a technical mistake because you are allowed to do that but um, for a one rep max competition that is not meant in a, in, a, in, a, in a bad way but that is a bit stupid because you're wasting potential um, just by not wanting to use uh, equipment. Exactly, yeah. that's true, yeah. And the most no reps that we gave uh, were due to death. Yeah, so, I, I can relate. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, but that's actually a highly individual thing um, that comes down to mobility and how you're training your squats. And this is actually something that is happening all the time and you can't avoid at all. So. What we saw with some of the girls, 
at least more with the girls than uh, with the boys was that um, confidence played a big role. So uh, like we saw squats from from the male athletes that were like 100% shrimped up and they just there was no sign that they are giving up like they there was the option of passing out mm. or standing up like that was so much fun to see in such a good energy because like that was really max effort squad and with most of the females you saw that they um you know when they were at like kind of 95 percent or something they just stopped yeah. and rather not took the grind and just uh, accepted the, the no rep. Mm -hmm. That was something that I saw with, of course not all, but with some of the girls. Yeah, but I think that also comes down to training experience. So if you're not training that long, you're not able to grind that properly because more advanced athletes, even though they think they can't do one more repetition, most of the time they still can get one single rep out of it because they are able to push them beyond their own uh, barriers. And Maybe also training company, like, yeah. you know, if you have someone that really helps you pushing the boundaries. And that's true, yeah. And it's also a competition. So you're a little bit nervous, all those feelings um, contributing to it. And therefore, yeah, I totally understand that not everyone mm -hmm. is able to grind through those lifts, but this is also something that needs to be learned and over time. Yeah, for me, actually, competitions helped a lot with learning that because that is um, an environment where you have like at least three. If you're lifting heavy, you have five spotters, so nothing can happen. Um, you have a crowd that is supporting you, really helping you to push you towards max performance and in, in competition. Um, my, my last attempt is usually like 20, 25 kgs heavier than my last um, peaking single squat, which also feels like something at 9, at 10. Um, but there's so much more potential in you with the right grinding uh, environment and this is definitely something as Lois said what you can learn and what you need to learn if you want to be uh, strong in in competitions so summing that up we had muscle ups mostly uh, timing and uh, load management issues so a lot of athletes just overpaced on the weight um, chin ups and pull ups just People not reading the rule book with most of, of the time the, the main issues. Dips, we had um, depth, setup, um, shoulder depression and timing in the reverse point as the main issues. Squatting, we had equipment, confidence and depth with what, with what the, the main um, difficulties of the athletes um, were. And I think that um, is enough for today and gives also the, uh, the listeners a lot to, to think about and maybe also improve in their next competition. So then, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching as we're also now uploading this uh, to YouTube. And if you have ideas, wishes for new episodes, we're now trying to, to get you at least one per week. I think 
That we haven't good, talked yeah. about it, but it's <laughs> yeah. one per week. <laughs> Can we do sounds that? Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Then exactly. Then see you next week. <laughs> see you next time. <laughs>